0: Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? Jason Jimenez here. So glad to be with you here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. I want to wish everybody a Happy New Year. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing as you're listening, I just pray the Lord blesses you in this new year. Today is podcast 101, so I just pray that as we continue our chronological study in the life and teaching of Jesus Christ, that God would minister to your heart. And my friends, some of you guys have sent in requests, you guys have asked us to pray for you, you have asked questions regarding the Bible, whether it be theological or personal or both. I just want you guys to know that i am readily available as i pray for our growing audience around the world that as we produce this podcast as i come to study god's word with you maybe it's in your home in your car while you're working out or you are with a group of people right now listening or you listen to it separately and then you come together with my notes and you guys study the gospels we have all different types of people here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast, and I want you to know that we love you guys and we want to hear from you. So if you have a prayer request or maybe you're concerned about something, you can go to our website, standstrongministries.org. You can also go to iwillstandstrong.org if you have not done our 30 day uh, devotion challenge with you version. I did that with good friends of mine, David and Jason Benham. That is available. We've had thousands of people go through it. We have thousands of people going through it right now. And we're hearing great things about that. It's a way to teach you to love God, to love his word, to love the community that God has called you to be in and to be that Christian who is standing strong in their faith. You and I know that we live in a time where we wonder, where are those brave men and women who are standing boldly for what they believe in and are firmly in uncompromisingly defending the faith. And so that is a great way for you to go through personally, or if you are a parent or a grandparent listening to this right now, and you'd love to let your kids or your grandkids know about it, you can check things out at Uversion. You can click on IWillStandStrong.org, the website there, all the information is available for you. So take advantage of those things. These are resources that we put out there, especially on social media. So to have you guys go through it, to share it, to, to, to recommend it, that is huge. That really helps us to continue to get the word out. So take advantage of that if you will. And I'd really appreciate any feedback that you guys can give. So going back to the requests, if you have something that is really pressing on you, you can send an email to us at info at standstrongministries.org. Info at standstrongministries.org. And again, if you have prayer requests or if you have a question, I'd love to be there to assist and to help you any way that I can. So take advantage of those resources, my friends, that are on StandStrongMinistries.org. If you've missed any previous podcasts, whatever platform you're listening, again, there's archives there. So take advantage of that because today is part six when we're looking at Thursday night. Again, we're still in the upper room. We just finished John 14, that profound teaching that Jesus mentions about the Holy Spirit. And now we get into John 15 verses one through 16, where Jesus is the vine. So that's where we pick things up now here in verse one of John 15. So Jesus says here to the disciples, I am the true vine. That literally means I am the grape vine. And my father is the vine dresser, meaning he's the worker of the earth. So Right right off the bat here in verse one of John 15, Jesus, after he just spoke to his disciples about the coming helper, remember back in verse 30 of John chapter 14, Jesus said, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But he says here in verse 31, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father rise, meaning prepare for departure. Let us go from here. So at this stage now in the upper room, the disciples are cleaning up, if you will, the Passover meal. And so Jesus is, you know, obediently going to lay down his life and he knows that Satan will be defeated, but he'll restore all creation. And so now as they're cleaning up, he starts talking to the disciples about being the vine. Now, many times throughout the Old Testament, Israel is depicted as a vine or a vineyard. So remember, if you go back to all the previous podcasts that we talked about, about Jesus reflecting through the Passover, of course, he is the lamb and he's gonna fulfill all of these prophecies as they're partaking of Passover, remembering true deliverance. Jesus is saying, I am the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Just like John the Baptist said in John chapter one, verse 29 and verse 33. So now as he's ending the Passover, he's depicting himself as the grape vine, the true vine. This is seen in Psalm 80 verse 8. Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 through 7, Ezekiel 17, 5 through 10, Hosea chapter 10 verse 1. So remember, Jesus is showing all this symbolism, but he's also fulfilling these passages that they've been celebrating for quite some time, culminating here at the Passover. Now, I believe this is significant, again, as we're understanding Jesus's life in chronological order in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because here as they're closing out, what he's doing here is he's referring again, as he's saying, I'm the true vine. The father's the vine dresser at the state that Israel was at at the time. They're degenerate. They're not producing the kind of fruit that God had called them to do in the Old Testament. So up to this point here, Jesus is on scene. The Messiah is here. And yet many Jews are rejecting him. He just had one of his own disciples go out who was possessed by Satan himself to betray him. But all this was culminating to what God had foreordained, we're told, in Acts chapter 2, verse 23 and following, that Peter will later, on the day of Pentecost, preach about. And so Jesus is pointing out to the disciples that there is, there is rottenness, there is a barrenness that comes with Israel right now. So when he says, I am the true vine, this is the last of the I am statements of deity. Jesus is truly the one to bear fruit. And to offer eternal life to Israel and beyond Israel. Because we'll go, we'll see my friends later when we get into the book of Acts, going back to Acts chapter two. This is what Peter will tell the audience of people there on the day of Pentecost, on the feast of first fruits, that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but for the world. And God will use twelve men to spread the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Into to the ends of the earth where we're told in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. So here Jesus is giving this divine human analogy to point out the personal relationship he desires to have with his disciples and all impending followers of Christ, that they are a part of him. Because notice he says in verse 2, he says, every branch, meaning a shoot of a vine, that's very flexible by the way, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. It literally means he cleanses it. So what Jesus is telling his disciples is that there's a pruning process that they're going to need in their spiritual life and their development Now, just like you prune an actual vine, it's necessary because it's healthy for it. It cleanses it and it helps it to grow more productively. So Jesus is providing to his disciples, again, as they're closing out and they're about to leave, he's giving them an analogy, a gardening analogy, because it was one that disciples could understand. So what he's saying is the father is like a gardener. So what he does is he cuts off the branches that aren't bearing fruit. Now, that, I believe, is representing symbolically to the false or apostate Christians. In this process of pruning, this is chastising. This is removing sin. This is something we see the writer of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews chapter 12 when he talks about God disciplining those whom he loves. And it's a process of helping someone become purified and to bear fruit. So that's why he says the branches is the sign of bearing the fruit that's needed here. Now, another thing I want to mention is that this isn't the only time the disciples heard about this. If you go back to Matthew 20, verses one through 16, Mark chapter 12, verses one through 12, and Luke 13, six through nine, there are other parables that Jesus referenced to vineyard. Now, what's significant about him bringing up now is because remember, he's about to be betrayed, and he's warning them, if you're going to bear fruit, if you're going to do the things that I've called you to do through the power of the Holy Spirit to come, when you wait in Jerusalem for the Helper to come, if you're if you desire that, you will bear fruit for me. You will you will glorify the works of your Father. But right now, the state of Israel is dead. Remember, in the past they had bore fruit, but now that fruit has become rotten, and now they become barren. One commentary says, "He, the Gardener, the Father." desires fruit, which is mentioned eight times in this chapter, verse two, thrice, four, twice, verse five, verse eight, verse 16. A progression is seen in verse two, there's fruit. And then later in verse two, there's more fruit and verses five and eight, there's much fruit. The fruit which God desired from Israel was loving obedience, righteousness, and justice, according to Isaiah five verses one through seven, end quote. So I think that's a great synopsis of seeing This progression. So again, as we go through this chapter, my friends, you cannot miss the point in your own personal life about how you're bearing fruit for God. When you examine your life, are you living a life of righteousness and justice? Are you loving obedience as we see in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7? Those are questions, my friends, that you need to ask yourself personally. So when we go through this passage today on the podcast— I want you to be considering the kind of fruit that you're bearing for the glory of God. Notice verse three, Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So the disciples, they believed in Jesus as the Messiah. They believed him to be the son of God. Remember, we saw that in Matthew 17. And they were receiving already spiritual blessings from God that were coming through the Galilean ministry of Jesus. But there's going to be a deeper relationship to come because notice in verse four, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. Verse five, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. So the bottom line that Jesus was conveying to his disciples that is so true to this very day, my friends, to you and me in our Christian walk is that he is the source. Jesus is the vine of life. It's not enough just to hear his words or to believe in his teachings. You and I need to abide. That means we need to be in union with him to bear fruit. So my question to you is, are you abiding in him? Are you finding yourself in union and in, and in sweet, intimate fellowship with Jesus? Jesus goes on to say, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and they're burned. So in verse six, clearly put, Jesus is saying those who reject him will face judgment. That's what he's saying. See, the difference is being cut off is again, not to abide in him, not to follow him. There's no intention to bear fruit. And so why are you going to be a part of the vine then you're just quote unquote, taking up space versus being chastised or being pruned to bear more fruit because you abide in the vine. So if you abide in me, Jesus says here in verse seven, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So what Jesus is doing is he's reiterating back in John chapter 14, verse 13, where Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Then he says in verse 14 of John 14, if you ask me anything in my name, will he he might do it? He says, no, he says, I will do it. So what Jesus is stressing here is that prayers are meant to advance the work of God. So if you and I want to bear fruit, my friends, You have to abide in Christ. If you want to bear fruit, my friends, you have to pray fervently. You have to pray in faith. You have to be praying to advance God's kingdom, not your agenda, not your desires, not your wishes, but what God desires. Because in verse eight, Jesus says, by this, my father is glorified. How is God glorified? When you and I, when you and I abide in him, when you and I ask whatever we wish according to his will to be done, this is reflective of the Lord's prayer. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is saying, my father be glorified. And guess what? He says in verse eight, and you will bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, oftentimes we quote in John 13, how will people know that you're my disciples? If you have love for one another. But additional context that we see here, remember, because Jesus said that in John 13, in the upper room, when they're having the Passover meal, after he washed their feet, and just a few minutes later, he's telling them here in John 15, that people know that you're my disciples if you bear much fruit. So it's important that we point out that, yes, people will know that we're disciples of Christ because of our love, but people also know that we're disciples of Christ because of the fruit that we bear, Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So again, we abide in Christ because we're united with him, we bear fruit, but we abide in Christ also because we're in his love. And that's when John will later say, We love him because he first loved us. Verse 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What a great example. So if the disciples are confused in any which way, Jesus says, look to me. And of course, the writer of Hebrews would later say, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one, he's our great high priest. He says in Hebrews chapter four, who can sympathize in all of our ways. All they have to do is look to Jesus. That's why I love when John said in 1 John 2 verse five, that we are to walk as he walked. He is our example. So if we want to bear fruit, yes, we pray the will of the father who's glorified in that. But if we're going to bear fruit as we abide in Christ, we need to keep his commandments. And one of the ways as Christians today with the 66 books that we have that makes up the Holy Bible, we are to hold fast to the word of God, my friends. That's how you and I bear fruit. You abide in his love. You keep his commandments just as Christ as I kept my father's commandments. Remember his will in John four was to do the will of the father. That was, that was, his whole purpose, that was his food, that was his sustenance. And I think oftentimes Christians, particularly in America, we can lose sight of that. We become very materialistic or we look to our big churches to feed us the Bible. And that is clearly not enough. I always tell people a lot of the church today is more like eating snacks. You get a little bag of of a little bite sized pieces of truth. That's not sustainable. My friends, you need to be grounded, steadfast in your faith by eating and meditating on God's word daily. That is so vitally important because notice in verse 11 now, he says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So as a true disciple of Christ, when you and I abide in him, We glorify the father and we do his works. Just like he said in John 13, verse 35, we obey his word. And notice we also express this heavenly joy. That isn't something that you and I can reduplicate or we've created on our own. This is something that comes from the father himself, this joy that notice it says that will be full. So my friends right now, if you are not feeling joyful, in your life and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you got to ask yourself, am I abiding in his love? Am I keeping his commandments? And am am, am I praying the will of God in my life? You say, well, Jay, I don't know what God's will is for my life. And I say to you, look to scripture, look to the word of God, go to Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 through 17, go to first Thessalonians chapter four, verses one through three, go to Matthew chapter 22, 37 and 38. That's God's will for your life. And you start praying those passages. You go to Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 14, and you pray the prayer that Paul prayed there, that you may know him and that you be grounded in his fellowship of Philippians three, verse 10, that you know the sufferings that Christ endured to become more like him. That's God's will for your life. Everything when it comes to a job or if you should get married or if you should move, all that's secondary. The first and foremost is, again, to pursue Isaiah 5 verses 1 through 7, righteousness and obedience and justice. Because here in verse 12, Jesus says to his disciples, and he's saying to us today, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he says this famous verse that we all know, verse 13, greater love has no one than this. That someone laid down his life for his friends. So again, when you and I want to bear fruit, we are to receive as we abide in the love of Christ, we are to receive the love that comes from the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are in return are to love others, the second greatest commandment. And the Bible says that greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Ultimately, what did Christ do? We know he laid down his life sacrificially. He found it joy, my friends, because he knew that it was going to offer eternal life, that, it, that he was going to defeat sin and death, that we would be buried with him in, 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 in baptism, but raised to newness of life, Romans 6, 4. So everything hinges on this commandment. Jesus has talked about the father's love, Right? He taught his disciples how to pray, how to have fellowship with him. He's demonstrated time and time again through various teachings and parables, through miracles, through relationships with people like Zacchaeus and other followers of Jesus all over the region. But now as he's about to give up his life and he's going to take the cross outside of Jerusalem and he's going to die for us, he's going to display the ultimate love of all. And that's sacrificial love. You cannot pay this debt, so I will take it upon myself. And when you and I live that life, following this commandment from Christ here in John 15, 12 through 13, we will bear much fruit. Verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. I love this because now in transition, Jesus gets a lot more personal. He says, You are my friends, not just disciples, but you're my friend. Now you think about the closest friends that you've had in your life and what they've meant to you, and what you've meant to them. Jesus is saying to them tenderly, I love you. I'm not just a rabbi instilling great discipline and instruction for you to follow professionally. I love you more than anything. Because he says in verse 15, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now, this is important, my friends, because see here in verses 14 and 15, this is an ancient view of a friend that Jesus is using here. What he's essentially saying to his disciples that are remaining, the remaining 11, was that they were equal. They were a trusted companion. The New King James Version Chronological Study Bible puts it this way, quote, the intimacy pictured between Jesus... And the disciples fits the ancient ideal of friendship, which stressed both loyalty and the sharing of secrets. Among the Greeks, the highest expression of a friend's loyalty was to die for a friend. And Jesus summoned his disciples to lay down their lives for him and for one another, as he was about to do for them. But servants often proved no less loyal than friends. So Jesus spoke of an intimacy greater than that between the average master and servant. Greek literature often stressed how friends share secrets with one another in confidence, and Jesus had shared with the disciples all the words he had heard from his father. Some Jewish writers in Jesus's day stressed that being God's friend, as exemplified by Abraham and Moses, was even greater than being God's servant. Jesus thus bestowed on his disciples such an honor of intimacy, with himself, end quote. Verse 16 says, you do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed. That means in the Greek assigned to a particular task that you should go and bear, meaning produce fruit and that your fruit should abide. So notice we abide in Christ. We abide in his love and notice fruit that will abide, meaning it will last because it comes from Christ. He says in, in, the, in the end of verse 16, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. So traditionally, students would pick their rabbi, right? But not in the case with the disciples. Jesus was the one that chose his disciples. Again, you go back all the way to John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. And just like Jesus chose the disciples in the beginning, then God, uh, the father chose Israel, If you look at Isaiah 45 verse 4 and Amos chapter 3 verse 2. So the the sole purpose of God calling Israel and Jesus calling these disciples was to spread his message to the world. There was, again, nothing unique and special about Israel at the time. Of course, remember when it was calling Abram out of the land of the Chaldeans and later delivering the Hebrew people who were slaves for over 400 years in Egypt, nothing significant about them. It was a promise that God had given to an unknown individual who became Abraham, who is our father. And likewise, when Jesus comes on scene, God in the flesh, he handpicks these nobodies and he would call them servants, but then later he would call them friends. And then here when he's saying, not only have I taught you how to pray to the father, but I am now telling you whatever you ask in my name, isn't that amazing? Whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you, meaning I am giving you access to heaven. And we will later see through the Pauline epistles that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Isn't that amazing, my friends? So Jesus is stressing to his disciples as we are still being confronted in grace today that we will accomplish everything in his name. John 14, 13 through 14, John 15, verse seven, John 16, verses 23 through 24 and verse 26 of chapter 16, over and over and over again, this is the power that we see. So now we transition now into the relationships that we will have in the world as we abide in Christ. And John 15, verse 17, Jesus says, these things I command you so that you will love one another Again, this is a repeated message that he's reinforcing your obligation to extend brotherly love. Now, how many times have you sat in church or you've heard a podcast like this, or you've heard a sermon in the car, or you're having a conversation in a small group and people say, God's given us a commandment. We're to love one another. Think, yeah, that's right. it's right. it's right. But stop and think, my friends, if you need to pause literally this podcast and pray or go back through these passages of scripture that we've been talking about. Do whatever you feel like you need to do through the power of the spirit. But the point is, is heed the conviction of the spirit because I was even convicted recently when I was looking back in my prayer life and thinking about how little I've been praying for certain people. Now I may, may say that verbally, but then I ponder back thinking how deeply am I in prayer for this person or you know, what kind things have I been doing lately for them or what kind of affection? So sometimes we can get so busy and, and, and think, yes, I'm a Christian. Yeah, we're to love all people, but we can tend to get so self-centered and apathetic that we can ignore those things. So every time Jesus is reinforcing this, it's for good reason. It's for good measure because we have a tendency as fallen creatures to not care about other people. Because notice in verse 18, Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So Jesus, he's laying out true love. And so ultimately when you and I love God and we love people, we're not always going to get uh, attaboys. We're not always going to be uplifted. It's not always going to feel good. Being rejected never feels good. But when you do something kind to someone, but they in return don't do not uh, do something kind to you, it can get not just uh, annoying, but very upsetting But Jesus here now is transitioning from true love into true hatred because that's reality. Jesus knew that the religious leaders, they were plotting to kill him in John 11, verses 45 through 47. And likewise, he's telling the disciples, look, you are going to lay down your life for people because you're going to face many hardships. If you're not going to do it in my name, if you're not going to abide in me, what is that going to mean to the rest of the world? You know, we have that tendency to think, well, I don't need to say anything because someone else is going to say something. Well, we don't know that. God could be calling you to be the one to show that love, to be the first one in that party. Whoever's wronged you or you wronged them to be the first person to say, in the love of Christ, will you forgive me? Or I forgive you in the love of Christ. I abide in Christ and I want to bear much fruit. And I'm asking, praying in the name of Jesus, knowing that the father will answer my prayers because I do his will. And so when the hardships come, Uh, That's going to take place, my friends, and perhaps right now you're facing something right now in the world that's very difficult, but you need to look to the relationship that you have with Christ. All other relationships, even marriage, will disappoint, will let you down. They will fail you. They are not your savior. You can't save yourself. You need to look to Jesus. So the world hated Christ, and if we love Christ, the world's going to hate us. But verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So Satan had already lured Judas Iscariot, remember, away and will deploy greater attacks against the disciples to come. Remember, Satan wasn't finished with Jesus even up to this point. He was about to go through a torturous, painful, horrific death, but he went because of his love and love endures all things we're told in first Corinthians 13. Jesus says in verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Now here, it's interesting because what Jesus is trying to point out to the disciples is when you follow me, when you abide in me as the vine and the father's the vine dresser and you're being chastised and you're going to be disciplined to remove sin and you're going to bear fruit in my name, you're going to pray in my name, you can't expect good treatment across the board. You are to remain humble. You're, you're to remain devoted to serve the master no matter Who hates you in the world? Going back to John 13, verse 16. And so he's saying here that if you kept my word, that you're being obedient, that you're believing in my name and the power and my teachings, and you're going to live it out. Now, the world has rejected Jesus because they rejected the one who sent him. So many will hate Jesus because of ignorance on account of their ignorance. But there's also people who will hate Jesus for who he is. They know who he is, but they don't want to give up their sin. So you and I will encounter these kind of people and it will vary person to person. But Jesus says in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. So the Jews knew that they were sinners and they anticipated the Messiah to deliver them from their sin. However, remember, as we're just pointing out, Israel had been barren because they rejected Jesus, the coming Messiah who came into the world, God incarnate. They dismissed the fulfillment of prophecy. They disregarded the miracles that he was performing. But yet at this point in time, they're without excuse. And so sometimes, my friends, when you do evangelism, you can't excuse away where someone's at. Sometimes I think in the Western world, we allow too many excuses and we cannot afford that to affect our ministry. We have to trust the words of Jesus and not fall into the camp of tolerance, but speak the truth. And when we do, we need to speak it in love, according to Ephesians 4, verse 15. Now here in verse 23, as we wrap up, Jesus says, Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. So what Jesus keeps stressing here is that the Jews thought that they were worshiping and obeying Yahweh perfectly as they abided and followed the law. However, they hated the second person of the Trinity. And again, if you hate one member of the Trinity, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, then you're hating God himself. You can't identify to one and reject the other two persons of the Trinity. Now, this is new to Jewish uh, teaching. They saw God as one. They didn't see uh, the Messiah as in this case, Jesus Christ being the second person of the Trinity. And of course, the Holy Spirit, the third person the Trinity to come. But this is something that Jesus is teaching them to anticipate. And he's saying, if you had not done among them the works, meaning by rejecting Jesus as a Messiah, the Jewish nation committed the greatest sin ever before at this point. So they had rejected God before and they've, they committed adultery, right? They were worshiping idols, but by rejecting Jesus as a Messiah is the biggest sinful act. And remember, he's going to be talking about ultimate deliverance, ultimate sanctification that comes through Christ. So they're without excuse. This is something you see in Psalm 25 verse 19. This is something you see in Psalm 69 verse 4. And so Jesus says, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So Jesus pulls Psalm 35 verse 19 to point out that the, the the rejection that the Jews have had about him was was unfounded because they loved darkness rather than light but this was to be fulfilled and this is why he came and that he must go because he's going to send them a helper to come because he says, whomever I send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. So Jesus tells of the third person, the Trinity, that's going to come the great advocate, who will deliver his people, who will empower his people. So Jesus says, if you're going to continue to bear fruit, you need the Holy Spirit to bear witness in verse 27, because he has been with you from the very beginning. So he's going all the way back. He says, If you guys think of the prophet Isaiah, for example, and you look at chapter 42 and chapter 43 and chapter 44, he's telling his disciples that the testimony of the prophets of old, that Christ pre-incarnate was there. And so was the power of the Spirit moving. So even future Christians who are living out the gospel and proclaiming the truth, they will bear witness because of the power of the Spirit. And that, those are amazing truths that, that culminates, my friends, that when you look at bearing fruit in your life, I think the key question in all of this is how is the Holy Spirit moving in your life? Is He convicting you of sin? Are you letting Him convict you of, of righteousness in your life? Uh, Do you fear judgment that every word that proceeds out of your mouth God knows about and you will stand and give an account? Are you causing other people to sin? Is God calling you to do something in obedience but you're too afraid to do it because you lack the faith and the commitment and therefore you make excuses and you think that the more excuses you make or the more you hide out or the more you go to church and you become like conformed to legalism that you can somehow wash yourself clean of it? I don't know what's going on in your heart and your mind, my friends, and what's whatever your situation is. But as we close on today's podcast, looking at John 15, you bear fruit because you abide in Christ. You bear fruit because you let him prune you. You bear fruit because you pray in the name of Jesus and you're doing the will of the Father. You bear fruit because you are a friend of Christ. And finally, you bear fruit because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is moving in and through you. So my friends, I pray, as we looked at John 15 today, that you would be inspired to bear much fruit for the glory of God. That is my prayer for you. Thank you, my friends, for listening. And until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at StandStrongMinistries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the word of God.